Welcome to the Shark Pod, the podcast that explores business and lifestyle design in Ireland and beyond. And now, live from Greystone Studios, here are your hosts, Luke Curry and Mark Baker. What is up, Shark Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Shark Pod, live from Greystone Studios. We've got Mark Baker out there in Glenageary. How's it going, Mark? I'm great, Luke. How are you? I'm roasting hot here, and uh, I just had this—I had this kind of panic on me when uh, I realized that we're we're coming to, to the proper summer now, and you know, uh, maybe it might be harder to get people to come onto the podcast when these days are really nice. Uh, so we've got Pamela Laird on the uh, podcast here with us today. How are you doing, Pamela? Hi guys, thanks so much for having me. Even though it's sunny, I'm happy to be here and chat to you. Delighted to have you here. Pamela is a CEO of Maxi Loves, um, a, a beauty product uh, line at this stage, or is just a one product? We've got three, so it's a, a cosmetics line, yeah. Me and Mark have been, so we're delighted to have you on. Me and Mark have been talking about this type of, uh, this type of business for a long time. We just love the idea of being able to uh, promote like a kind of a, a, a self-brand uh, build around kind of what you love, what you know. Um, at years and years ago when kind of Instagram first kind of came out, I was living in town uh, in an apartment and I saw my, uh, my, my then girlfriend, my now wife, I uh, was on her phone and there was, uh, she was like listening to people describe, um, you know, products that they were into and, you know, really, you know, like they were just saying how much they love these products. And my wife's just like, looking at this directly do you know what i mean i'm just thinking this is the most amazing showpiece ever do you know and uh i've yes. been kind of looking over her shoulder since then saying oh my god this is amazing and then i saw people and then katie be like uh oh yeah she brought out her own pair of jeans and line and it's doing really well i'm like oh it's amazing it's like a out of the box customer base you know yeah um so i think it's amazing so we're delighted to have you on here and um, so maybe for those people who haven't heard of your uh your your products um yes. how would you describe them how would you describe the company so moxie loves it started with one product um and yeah we just hit the ground running now we're a range of three products so i would call ourselves like a waterless beauty brand our products are all dry they're anhydrous formulas so really coming from a new sustainable innovative angle and i think what we do is we create clever convenient innovative products that you can use whenever and wherever you are um and we're available in like boots and um, done stores online so kind of try to be wherever our customer is and where they're shopping i love i love the businesses where you can get that distribution out it's so, so we've talked to people on, on the podcast who have these amazing ideas amazing products that they've taken to a certain point and it's the problem is how do we get it in front of people right that's the biggest yeah. thing and uh with this type of uh business and the way you seem to have set it up uh, i mean we saw you on the the dragon's den we were just talking about mm -hmm. off air uh how that went and how all the dragons were interested in the business and interested about the the profit margins and the, the kind of scalability of these types of products um it's, it's really really impressive and it's it, it's the, I guess the what what's the the hardest thing about the business is it getting that type of distribution is it to figuring out who's going to make this and get it into Ireland or what's the what's the hardest part of the business for you guys oh, such an interesting question I think a lot of people probably looking in where it would say God you know getting those listings is a really hard thing I've never found that process the hardest actually I think um keeping the momentum going in this industry is very hard so 
sometimes when you're being really innovative as well, it can be difficult to source a manufacturer. Like if I'm, I'm nearly too far ahead with some of the products that I've done because there isn't anyone scaling up that type of manufacturing or, you know, it's only the bigger brands doing it and I can't have access to that sort of manufacturing capability. So there's loads of things that I would love to do that are just a little bit out of reach in terms of R&D. But I think actually keeping momentum going and keeping up with the bigger brands is the hardest thing. Um, you're tr- constantly trying to reinvent yourself and and keep it going. So, rate, you know, sell through is nearly harder than getting a listing, I feel. Now, look, I know there's a lot of brands out there that I know trying to knock on buyer's doors is difficult, but I suppose each time you reach a milestone, you have a new difficulty. You're on shelf and boots, but you need to keep getting off the shelf, you know, keep selling through. So I would say that's the hardest part. Interesting, because that's what I, I would have thought that that's, it's hard to actually get in there. But if you've got that kind of nailed, then the, just the, I guess the, the issue then is, like you said, keeping up that, uh the innovation when you don't have the uh, maybe the the backing of those giant uh, i'd say there's huge huge players in this uh in this game from the from a beauty point of view Um, totally interesting and so why don't we cast let's cast the the kind of timeline back a little bit to see kind of how did you got into this what your background was uh, how long has this uh been a business how long have you been working on this so yeah i guess i left school at 18 and i opened my own nail bar in dundrum in dublin and yeah that was my first real kind of entrepreneurship and i loved it like i thought this was the best thing ever we expanded into new treatments new things and then i realized how not scalable a service business was i loved nails and i loved everything about it but as soon as we got bigger and we're growing i realized that i ended up becoming just a manager of people and the niceness of the job had just gone and I thought this to try and scale is going to be really hard and I just didn't like how that felt I felt a little bit like I can't bring this to the next level so I actually took a step back I closed it and I started working on my brand because my background if I go back a little further my mom had had beauty salons since before I was born so she had over the years brought in a lot of products from other markets like she always had something new and then it really kind of helped me see my love for products and creative, I suppose the creative side of, of who I was and how I could make that a business. And that really started the brand. And that's kind of how I ended up um, creating products. It's, I love the product because I've, I've got the kind of a, the different view here. I'm coming at this from a, a software point of view. So I, I work for a HubSpot software marketing, all sales, all that type of stuff. And I work with partners who do these big kind of service uh, projects, right? And yeah. they can only, if we get a couple of good deals in, we get some momentum going and then they're offline for two months while they're doing the implementation. And I'm just like, how do we take this? You have to you'd have to hire another 100 people to make yes. this. And then 100 people have to take holidays. 100 people have to, you know, pick up their... The you know. quality control, <laughs> are they all yeah. good? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think I love the idea of the the product. And I was uh, re-listening, Mark, to uh, our old friend Tim Ferriss on his uh, four-hour uh, work week just, just the other day. It came up on YouTube and said, I'll give that a listen again. Not like I haven't uh, read that before, but um, his whole thing was about the, the scalability of products. And that's the... If you're going to build a business that... It's going to give you a better lifestyle rather than more headaches. Uh, Products might be a little bit better in some ways. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think, you know, you can expand and scale so much easier. Um, And I think 
you know, when you're interested in something that you think could be bigger than just your market, when you've got people involved and it's service, people will always want you. And that was something I noticed, you know, because it was mine and I was the founder and everyone's like, oh, I want Pamela. And you can't split yourself into a hundred. So yeah, I realized then it was just not going to be fun (laughs) if I was to scale. That's for sure. And you were only 18 when you opened that up. I was 18 when I opened that up. Yeah. Just, I actually was the weekend after my Debs. Wow. Okay. Straight in. <laughs> I, we, this is it. Like we were talking to people last week as well. It started that early, and we're like, "Oh my god, we've got so much time to uh, to get things done," which is great. Um, and then, so, to, to, sorry, just to talk about, we we always kind of mention school and stuff, and, and yeah. kind of mindset in school, like leaving certain stuff like that. Options. What was it like for you in in your your fifth and sixth year? I was really lucky to have like my mom that really supported what I wanted to do. And so I did a lot of my education kind of between third year and transition year um, because I knew what I wanted and there wasn't really anything for me in school. So I I know that I had her support, but I didn't really have the school support. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't easy to sort of say yeah I'm not interested in any of this (laughs) and um, I was that outspoken I was that kind of person that was like yeah this isn't relevant for me at all I want to leave and my mum was like just stay just finish just finish just finish you've got all the time in the world and she was right but I, I was half checked out for sure it's so interesting as well. Like we, it's such an interesting snapshot of people's uh, life. It's kind of a turning point for a lot of people. Either you um, go down the path of kind of walking the wheel with everybody and doing the the kind of well worn path, and uh, you kind of go into profession and stuff like that. But they may not have been what you were really passionate about and stuff like that. And I remember, let me and Mark have talked about this on the podcast a lot. But um, like our uh, our guidance counselor wasn't. It didn't give much guidance. We went to the same uh, secondary school. No. And it was, uh, he didn't really have much to add. It was kind of, you know, he kept on trying to make us do things that were maybe, uh, you know, had nothing to do with what we wanted to do. But he's like, what about this? Rogi? Uh, yeah, you're so, kind of caught in the middle and, and you're not sure whether, what you want to do. So I kind of feel more sorry for the people that are, are caught in the middle. Maybe they they think college might be an option or maybe they want to go work straight away. And they're not sure and then they end up probably doing something they don't want to do so i actually i envy people who know what they want to do whether that be working a news agents or study to be a doctor i i just envy the the fact that they know what they want to do so young and, and it's it's something that maybe people underestimate the value even so so if you go out and start your own business or you get into that type of uh that's a very self-employed and you're you're doing something that you like you're building uh competencies in that um like 10 years later, that's really, really uh, advantageous. Like if you go into something else anyway, we just hired a, a guy who had been, uh, had his own business for 10 years and he is like a superstar. Like he's yeah. like, cause he's, he's been through a lot over the last 10 years, ups and downs, like, and raising money and losing money and you know all that, like having to lay off lots of people. Now he's got like, he thinks this is quite a cushy job cause he has a, a monthly wage, you know? So he's like, whatever, know. you know, um, he's not getting too stressed about things. Um, but it's, it's an interesting, uh, path to go down. Me, me and Mark are both, uh, parents now. So we're kind of keeping an eye on that thing. Like, mm, what do we, do we push them into this or that? Or I know they're like, you know, my child is six months old, so it's early enough. <laughs> you have time, you have time. I think it's hard as well, yeah, because I suppose you either have it or you don't, don't you? Like, to be an entrepreneur is not, I don't know, can you teach it? You know, is it something that you just want to do so badly that you'll go against almost every piece of advice when you're in school? Like, none of it says work for yourself at all, unless you want to trade, you know? Oh, you want to do, be an electrician? Yeah, then you could probably work for yourself, but not just at 
doing anything you want. Like there is no route or, you know, this is how you do it. Actually, this is how you set up a business. This is what you should know. Like there's no education on that. Yeah, it's a good question. Like, can you can you make an entrepreneur? I think you can in in the fact that if a parent is entrepreneurial and as a child, you're kind of you're just surrounded by it all the time. I think maybe that helps maybe that's anyway. how they're created. Um, I think it helps. Sorry, there's a reverb, a reverb there, Luke. For me, I or you? hear myself. Uh, me. OK, I, I think you sound loud and clear over here, Mark. Okay. Um, so, Pamela, go back to the timeline. So you, the nail, uh, the nail uh, business is kind of uh, put to one side. You've mm-hmm. already had one of your businesses. You're like 20 or 21 or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so this is your second iteration. And what do you do? Uh, what do you do then? Do you say, OK, I'm going to go to the product stuff? Do you have an idea? Say, I think this might be something that we could build off to China. What's the... Yeah, I think I just had this idea that I wanted to build a brand and I thought, well, what could I bring to a brand? And it was probably my like knowledge of the beauty industry and where would I start? What products do I want to create? I really started from the ground up and I was headhunted at the time to work for another nail bar. So I did a year there the whole time. I was just thinking about what I wanted to do and putting that kind of foundation together. So I just started. I don't even know where what came first. Did the name come first or was I getting samples? And I just I, I thought I could launch 10 products. And then I realized that like my MOQ, like my minimum order quantity was like 60,000 units. I was like, okay, so it'll be one product then at the start. Um, So it definitely shrunk my ambition. I also didn't have any money. And I was thinking, well, like, what will I do? And my mom always said, like, just keep going. Because by the time you get to the stage where you need to pay for it, you'll have done so much work. I'm sure it'll all come together. So I had so much to do. Packaging design, product creation, formula, like everything. And that does take like 10 times longer than you think it's going to take by the time you need the money you have everything almost practically done um which is the right way to do it so um yeah it was like about two years of just thinking working sampling all of that kind of stuff and during that time i i'm thinking i we spoke to a lot of people that came up with their own uh their own kind of products and stuff like that and i remember we spoke to somebody who um who had been sourcing stuff like his own type of products in uh, china and it, it was it was so difficult and then at one stage he said um this is great that it's so difficult because no one's going to get this far with this <laughs> Do you know what i mean like people would have yeah anything like... you're worried about someone copying you're like they absolutely <laughs> won't get to this stage yeah. they're just not possible like <laughs> they won't have it in them yeah they'd want to be a nut job to get this yeah exactly so uh so when you what was it like when you first reached out to people overseas to manufacture this this type of stuff was there any like was there any mentorship or anything that someone say yeah call this guy in uh wuhan or Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I um, I didn't have any help with that, actually. And I found it really difficult at the beginning because when you're trying to figure out what you want to do, I knew that there was a mechanism similar to my first product in the medicinal sector. So there was like a liquid uh, filled cotton tip that you could use for sterile application of iodine and alcohol. So I knew that it existed. It was just trying to get someone to help me make it how I wanted it to be. So I think it's easier if something similar exists because you have a starting point. There were other things I tried to do that people were like, what? Like, that's not even a thing. So no. (laughs) So I um, found that a little easier because I had a starting point. But like loads of the samples, you're like, as soon as they arrive, you're like, no, no, no. And there were so many no's, you know, like it was months of just samples arriving and hating everything about it or they couldn't do the packaging I wanted. And so it was a no, a no. And I, I didn't have it in me to sort of start sourcing packaging from other places. So I needed someone to do it all for me. Okay. And eventually I found it. And obviously it sounds very easy now that I'm condensing it, but it wasn't easy. I can tell you. 
Imagine I could just imagine sitting there say, when they're sending over the different uh, samples going, okay, I think the next one is they, they yes. seem to have got this and then, you know, open it and being like, ah, oh, no, is that, is that what the, the feeling was like? It is like that. And then when it's right, you get so excited and you just want like a hundred more of them to like keep, you know, trying and sharing it with people. Um, but yeah, when it's right, it's so great. You almost forget how hard the, the trial process was. I think that's, it's an interesting thing how, how humans kind of forget that that the the annoying part i mean when mark was starting his business he was like it, it took a, a couple of couple of months to get going there and now it's like it, it, do you still think about that mark do you at all or is it like because every time <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful so... for the uh for the hard first few months you know because with recruitment the barriers to entry are actually quite low do you know anyone can help anyone get a job really but i mean we're all accountants so that's what we chose for chose finance which obviously brought us up a notch and we had experience and we were connected, all that kind of stuff. But that resilience needed in those yeah. months when you switch the light on in your expensive office, like <laughs> I got <laughs> unnecessarily and <laughs> um, don't even need an office now. When you switch the light on, it's it's go time, you know, and if your investment and all that kind of stuff and and the months were going on, you're kind of like, where's all this influx of business that I expected, you know, straight away. And all my even even your friends kind of just forget to kind of, to give you business and stuff like that straight away and they don't realize the timelines so at the end of that when it picked up and it picked up and it went really well then really quickly but i'm kind of grateful that the the barrier to entry is, is harder than i thought you know though not a lot of people will will have the resilience needed i think uh to keep to keep pushing through it's true it's 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 a it's an interesting takeaway. So when you guys you got your you got your stuff, you're like, this is great. They've done the packaging, they've done the like everything is, is, everything. is rosy. <laughs> okay, now you gotta sell that stuff. So what's your first what's, yeah. what's your first call? Or you, do you I was extremely go naive. I'm not gonna lie. Right, I thought Luke, this product's gonna come here. Everyone will want it. That will be fine. And I think you actually have to believe that, or you will totally talk yourself out of it. So sixty thousand units, they're on their way. And yeah, like people are just going to buy it. Like, it's fine. It'll happen. Um, nobody returned my emails. No one would even acknowledge that I sent them an email. And I was thinking, okay, this is really hard. Why is this so hard? And I probably didn't do enough research on the type of industry I was getting into. And unlike selling to salons, which I would have had a lot of experience in, or selling to the general public in a store, which I also had a lot of experience in retail my whole life, mm. this in-between part where people don't like to group pharmacies or group retail stores don't like to deal in ones and twos of people okay. because it's another customer. It's another email. It's another person they have to deal with who doesn't understand the logistics or that whole process. And I thought, okay, this is going to be really hard. Why, what can I do? So then I started looking for a distributor. Um, but I had already contacted Primark a few times and eventually I got the name of a buyer and I'd sent samples. But then I'd also got in touch with a distributor who we just clicked right away. They really liked the product. I had thought about the retailer. I thought about where it was going to be in store. We had like a little Euro hook, which is like the little hole at the top of a product. So we can go on to the silver rails, which is from a buyer's perspective, great. They don't have to give you any shelf space. So I had thought about all of this, but obviously I couldn't get to tell anyone about how well I thought it through. But then in between signing a distributor agreement, uh, Primark had listed the product. So they had the samples that got into their hand. I'd made it to the right buyer. And they loved it and they listed straight away. So I didn't need the distributor, but at the same time, it was 
smoother by the time Primark wanted to get everything up and running. Okay. I had someone who was already a listed supplier nice. and then it made getting listed everywhere else much easier because it was one point of contact for multiple brands for them. And does that really help with logistics and stuff like that to have a distributor or is it make it just for you? Does it make it like another person to deal with as well? <laughs> it's it's, it's another person to deal with. And honestly, I think if you're into scaling your business long term, you should potentially look at bringing as much of that as you can in-house, be it the sales arm, the relationship building arm and leave the logistics and pick and pack to the people who are doing it all the time. That's fine. But I think sometimes when you hand your brand over, if the people change within that particular organization, then someone might come in who isn't in love with your brand like the last person was and and you don't have control over that team. You know, that team is hired by somebody else. So if I was saying, you know, the first year, it's amazing to have a distributor. After that, you really need to start building buyer relationships yourself because if people leave and buyers don't like those people, your brand gets lumped in with that. So you do have to be careful. However, they're amazing for a small starter. You know, when you don't have a team, they're they're an extension of your team. But that can go good and bad, of course. It's uh, it's so it's it's so interesting when you think about the distribution model because that's what we always talk about with, with entrepreneurs here, and people go different ways. Um, but it's good to have that type of thing at the guests at the beginning, like I said, so they could maybe open some doors and then you can start building your brand. Interesting that you want to, after the first year even, to bring a little bit of that in-house. Um, yeah. And I think I think that's something like a good kind of takeaway there. So after after Primark kind of take it on, is that through the UK or is it mostly just, is it just in Ireland? So that was just Ireland at the time. Um, and we launched into, I think it was 80 of their stores. And then we did end up trickling into UK stores, like some of their bigger ones, because they do centralize the buying sometimes. So it's okay. pretty easy to expand with them. Um, but they were a huge support to me at the beginning. Like it was just the best type of launch, the best type of location. It was into the hands of the customers we wanted. And we were kind of at that sweet spot price point for them, the kind of five euro mark, which was great. And you're getting into a place where people are queuing up after the COVID mm-hmm. lockdowns to get into. Everyone loves Benny's. Like it's like it's something for everyone, you know. It's and like I I love walking by those types of businesses that have that type of queue outside because mm. retail. Everyone keeps on saying retail is dead. I don't think it's dead in in every aspect. You know, people still want to go and feel things, touch things, and then if they can buy those, uh, like stuff like your product in a like, it should be in the same place where they're buying stuff that. Uh, affects the way they look so it really i think yeah. it really fits together with uh with, with what you're doing there um so with the with the kind of expansion and stuff into different uh products does that is that an easier uh uh path then once you've broken the back of the the the, the business model and the suppliers <laughs> and stuff is it just plain sailing from then on pamela or is like it all... is it easy um do you know what? It's it's a serious cash flow issue industry or business to be in because you have quite heavy terms with some retailers, like there could be 90 days for some. Okay. You really need to be launching a product ideally to scale like every four months. Your MOQs are high, you pay up front. And if you're getting it from China, it's two to three months on the boat. So that cash flow is, is very difficult when you're a retail facing business. Like obviously now with the back of COVID, like I'm really products that are more suitable for online and retail, whereas a lot of our price points would have been very impulse purchase in store, not necessarily easily to move online because the postage is almost the same as the product. So Mm. from my point of view now, when I look and I think this is, so I'm in the middle of raising my seed round, this is where it's difficult because you need 
you need the halo effect of launching new products for new things and new conversations, but you need a serious amount of cash to bankroll that um, because of the lead times on both ends. So it's it's not hard when you have the ideas, which I have all the ideas, but it's when you don't have the cash, <laughs> then it's hard. And it's, I would say like from an outsider's perspective, when you're, when you were going through some of the numbers on the, uh, on the Dragon's Den, like the numbers mm. really stack up. You would imagine that this would be like, I know that there were, there was a lot of interest from the, the Dragons uh, on the Irish panel there, but you'd imagine that those types of numbers, I mean, I'm coming from a, a software uh, background and mm. our margins are nothing <laughs> yeah. like that. We're, we're losing money for t- 15 years, you know? No, the margins in beauty are fantastic. I think um, probably the only hindrance when you're trying to raise money with a retail product in Ireland is the fact that you don't really have any strategic investors in that space here. We don't have a lot of product unless it's food. And listen, if I had a software business or I had a tech company, I mean, there's money just everywhere, isn't there? (laughs) You're like, you're you're actually making money. This is weird. Uh, Yeah, take whatever you want. (laughs) Yeah, we don't really want that, actually. No. And I think, look, it's obviously a riskier business. Things move pretty fast. You know, obviously, it's a great industry to be in. But when you're looking for a strategic investor the way I am, it's not, it's harder with the pool of people we have in Ireland. So after I did The Apprentice in the UK, that's when I got a lot of interest from UK investors. And they're far more suitable, I suppose, to my type of business because there's just more of them over there. And that's that's a nice segue into The Apprentice, (laughs) uh, uh, the the whole Apprentice kind of adventure that you had over there. Um, So for The Apprentice, like I know everyone knows The Apprentice. We used to have apprentice parties, Mark. I don't know, remember that in my mom's house back in the day. Every Tuesday, uh, the Irish one was on. Um, and we'd all, we were in college at the time. And we'd all come over. We were 15 people watching uh, Bill Cullen. Uh, and it was, it was brilliant. It was great fun. Like It was like, uh, it was great drama. But um, it was interesting. So, like, it was, but you went to the, the UK one. Um, how did you get involved in that? Is that something that you just apply online? Or do they kind of find you online and saw that you had a brand and stuff like that how does that work so i'm going to be honest i'd never actually seen an episode of the irish or the uk apprentice of the full episode i'd never had watched it i had come off the back of dragon's den i'd hit a bit of a bump in the road my product had to be discontinued for eu regulation so i bounced back with two new products but i was facing what i just said the cash flow issue and i was saying to my friends and i was like you know i need to i need to get back out there and look for an investor now and my friend said pam you should do the apprentice and i was like I don't need a job. I don't, and she said, no, 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 it's not a job. He invests 250,000. And I was like, oh, so I went on and Googled, had a look. I saw that one uh, cosmetics brand that he invested in was doing millions in turnover, Tropic Skincare. And I was like, okay. And then I looked at all the winners and they were all doing extremely, extremely well, still partnering with him. Unlike some of the Dragon's Den history where a lot of people had parted ways in Ireland okay. after the investment, this was really different. And it was different because it wasn't, for 20%, I'll give you this money. It was like 50%. So although it was giving away 50%, it was also taking on someone to, to share the risk and scale. And yeah. it seemed like, well, look, I've done Dragon's Den before. I'm clearly okay on TV when I'm trying to sell my business. Like I can do that. Whereas I felt far more intimidated just in a, you know, a blank boardroom with people who, who I couldn't kind of show my personality to. Yeah. So I thought, look, I'll give it a go. I text my friend. I said, listen, tell me when this series is over and when they open the application. So I just applied. It was like a one page application. I don't know what I thought, but I thought, oh, okay, we'll see. They sent back a time and a date and I flew to London. And I think I just thought I'd be sitting there with someone and I got there and there were 
thousands and thousands of me with the briefcase and Amazing. the application form. And I thought, oh my God, what have I got myself into? I'd have never the even X-Factor. seen this show. It was like X Factor, <laughs> totally like X Factor. And I was like out of my depth. I had no idea what I was doing. So um, yeah, three auditions later and I ended up on the show. God knows how. <laughs> Amazing. And yeah. so when you're on the show, like I guess it's, it's kind of interesting because they're the so mark you you've seen the apprentice you've watched that before have you yeah so it's yeah, like yeah. It's, it's very competitive but in a weird way because they've split you into teams and you have to work together and stuff like that but mm-hmm. it's a very i don't know like, the the atmosphere can be tense in there Did, and because you haven't come from like a corporate background when that's kind of people's you know that backstabbing vibe off people uh is, is quite regular uh, i don't know not in my job but yeah, other jobs yeah well sometimes um but what's the what, how did that how did that affect you were you surprised with how uh did you enjoy the process like I was really surprised that I actually enjoyed it I, I really felt nervous because I'm an only child but I'm also then an entrepreneur and have pretty much been since I left school so yeah. working with other people was not something that I would have necessarily thought I was good at sharing tasks those types of things mm. and and yeah, The Apprentice is really different, which I didn't quite understand because I knew I'd seen clips online of where they all run around in a scavenger hunt kind of thing. And I was like, <laughs> how has this got anything to do with business? Like, what is this going to be even like? Yeah. And then it's this weird thing where you all want to win in a team. So you're trying to win together as a team. But then you're also thinking, OK, who can I blame if we've all just totally messed this up? Like. Yeah. And I found that really hard because I wasn't used to blaming people. Like if anything was wrong in my business, it was my fault. Like it wasn't, there wasn't anyone else. So when it came to, okay, you all have to sit around now and talk about whose fault it was. And I was like, well, I yeah. don't know. Like maybe it's my fault. And the producer, like, you can't say that. <laughs> like, so that's not how this works. And so I did have to really get into, you know, firstly, trusting people in a team. And secondly, being able to, be really straight which I wasn't used to and say actually it was his fault like yeah. it's or her fault you know I had to do that and I, yeah. I didn't really enjoy that that was really hard and that made it really tense which I also didn't enjoy um, but I have to say overall it was just an amazing experience and do you do you get to like interact with the the kind of the the board members very much or is it kind of a very limited amount of time you spend with them is there any do you get to pick Lord uh, Sugar's brain about the when you're like filming yeah when you're filming or just kind of off screen is he kind of hanging out with the guys now no he does not hang out I think look this is when I filmed it it was his 15th year and I think probably at that stage you know you know he's great and he's so charismatic on screen and when it's in the boardroom like the boardroom is an entire so it's only about the last 10 minutes or seven minutes of the show, but the boardroom day is an entire full day of filming. So if you lose, you could be 12 hours filming. All right. So you go to that calf and all that. So he is really serious with you and your business when he's interrogating you in there, but he's not hanging around after going, listen, you did well, or, you know, yeah. sorry about that. Like that doesn't happen. He's, <laughs> right. he's always on basically. Okay. Interesting. Cause out of the, so out of the three apprentice kind of guys, Donald Trump, uh, uh uh, Cullen and uh, and Lord Sugar. Lord I think Sugar. yeah, Lord Sugar seems to be the most credible. One. I don't know, Mark. What do you like? <laughs> Where, well, what's wrong with Bill Cullen? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no. 
I'd like to. I, I, I feel like Bill Cullen would uh, would hang around more. I don't know why. He, I feel like he'd he be, used to have his book, uh, Penny Apples, in the in the bathroom actually. Golden apples, and uh, oh. I, I showed my friend who was also a uh, an apprentice fan, and I was like, he's got I've got this book, you know, it's, it's Bill Cullen's going through it, you know, and he's doing you know doing his thing, and he said he doesn't trust any uh, any book where like the all everything you need to know. Uh, it spells out all the chapters like golden apples spells out the chapter titles and oh he, i he see thinks it's too convenient that's not the kind of the keys to business shouldn't really uh shouldn't really be there so he kind of put put a damper on that um and i'm not sure i haven't heard of bill cullen in a while so hopefully he's doing well uh wherever he is uh but yeah okay cool so w- once you were, were finished with that you mentioned that there was kind of uh almost like a shop window for investors and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh and when did that finish up was that kind of just before the covid yeah, it just wrapped up December, like just before Christmas and um, 2019. So I had sort of started my, you know, journey with with a, some of the investors who'd reached out to me. Like I had a lot of interest on LinkedIn. Like at one stage, I was like trying to weed through like who is even a real business person here. And I wasn't really used to that because my Instagram was blowing up personally from the show and then also the LinkedIn business side. So it took a while, but I managed to get about three or four that I thought were really serious and that I was serious about. Most were based in the UK. So I spent a lot of time between January and March flying over to the UK to meet them. Um, so COVID really um, put a stop to that and, you know, made me take a little step back and just see, you know, was that the route I want to take? Like if something like this happened again, would it be convenient to have somebody based in the UK? You know, how would that look? So, yeah, I kind of had to start again over the last four months to looking into investment. It's something that we it's an interesting thing that we we do in uh, in ireland i don't know about you guys but i don't i've never really done anything in the uk and it's just such a big market just right beside us i think we talked mm-hmm. about that in the last podcast mark but you know if you can't find investment here there is there's pounds sterling over there uh yeah. you know that we can go after which is great um and i think that we we irish people have a good way of selling themselves as well once we get going so we just need to get in front of the right people and i think we'll do uh i think we'll do very well um so what's what's kind of the the, the future for the for the business what's the vision where do you where do you go from here Honestly, the vision is global and um, we're about to launch into Australia. So we just sent portion of the stock over there last week, actually. So we're launching into 400 stores there, which is amazing. Wow. And that definitely happened off the back of COVID, you know, being able to meet people on the other side of the world via Teams and Zoom, you know, yeah. to be able to close that deal has is really a pandemic deal, basically, because I don't think that would have happened. You know, it just it wouldn't have been the same trying to do a deal when most people would have to fly over so you're able to totally sign seal that up which was fantastic and then the us really that is the the goal you know especially for my industry it's one of the biggest markets and the uk we're already in booths uk primark uk acado lloyd's but there's more to do there you know we've got grocery we've got sainsbury's we want to target so yeah just there's so many targets but the vision the overall vision is to be global and to be a bigger brand we've got three lines currently three more launching this year Amazing. but really to grow our product range too would be part of the goal wow it seems the sky is limited especially any time that you can sell stuff in america it's it's just such a, a giant market it's like a, a homogeneous as well if it works in new york it might work in 
Austin and there's just so many bigger big uh, centers there. I don't want to get too much into that because me and Mark really bet that horse to death last week when the the lads were moving to America. So we won't go too too. too we won't go too far into that. <laughs> but um, okay, so with that with that kind of in mind, like at this stage of the podcast, we usually have a kind of a lightning round that Mark Baker uh, is kind of his party piece here. He's got he's got a he's got the burning questions there that we'd like to ask our guests because uh, we can kind of parse out how they think about things. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm ready. I usually have a sheet and we're 75 episodes in and I still look at the sheet, but I've lost the sheet now, so I don't need it anymore. It was laminated and everything. Yeah, Mark's a a laminator. Uh, Okay, but I think I know the best ones. Uh, We'll start off nice and easy. What are some of the, the apps on your phone that you use the most? Mail, WhatsApp and oh, Instagram. Okay, and for the for the business, kind of a little bit of a follow on. What's the most? I think I know what it's going to be. But what's the most important social media for for the business? Instagram, a hundred percent. And why? I think because we're such a visual brand, like we're Instagrammable by nature. Like our packaging is so made for Instagram, and so the content, be it educational or fun or just a photo of our products, all of that just works so well with Instagram and it really grabs our customers' attention. So that's where they are and that's where they're browsing and that's where we're talking to them. And your your Instagram is obviously really, really strong and, and your presence there is great. How hard is it to keep that up? I'm always interested with people's personal brand is attached mm-hmm. to the product. To me, that just makes my brain hurt you know think because i i have an art business and it kind of i am the product there and i do the paintings and stuff and i feel under pressure to to continually put out stuff but it it's putting yeah. out yourself all the time like that must be tough do you have a team that helps you with that like what's no <laughs> but yes it's tough and honestly my name isn't on my product purposely because I didn't think that I would want to have to sell myself every time I saw the product. However, I realized after launching, there are markets whereby I'm an added value, be it the UK and Ireland. But, you know, if I'm going to the US or I'm going to China or even Australia, I don't need to go and sell myself there. The product can speak for itself. So although where it's valuable, I'm really happy to push myself forward and be the face of, or, you know, behind the brand, who is the person where I don't need to do that. I'm grateful that my name isn't plastered on it. So I don't have to keep selling myself, Hmm. but I think off the back of the apprentice, I realized that people are really curious and it can be an added value. And so that, you know, pushes me to keep going, but no, nobody helps me with this. There are weeks where I barely post anything because I'm so stressed or, you know, there's just not, Hmm. sometimes not Hmm. a side you can share Sometimes you can share the lows and that's really part of it, but only when you have a bit of a high afterwards, because otherwise it's just really depressing. So, um, yeah, I try not to be too negative. So I come off if I have to. Um, but I can do that because, again, it's not my name on it. So I don't have to, but I, I do and I want to and I do enjoy it. It's very I think sometimes like the personal brand, I think in America, like the Irishness and stuff like that, that. I don't know if is that a a better way to approach it in in somewhere like America where where there is a a value on being Irish and you only have to look at not to compare you to Conor McGregor but <laughs> you know but you know what I mean that's how he kind of well he's obviously very talented as well yes no and I think yeah potentially but like for instance I think seventy percent of my followers on my own Instagram personally are UK based so from that side of things I know that people in the UK are following me so it's added value to the brand whereas mm. if I'm going to launch in the US. I'll have a lot of work to do to gain a US following in order to convert that into sales. You know, I know Marissa Carter, when she was launching her tan brand over there, 
did a collab with Kylie Jenner and she then got a lot of US followers. So there's a way to make it work for you. And I think obviously it would be great to raise my own profile over there to help push the brand. But if that doesn't happen, at least I know the products are good enough and there aren't not going to be like, who's Pamela? You know, it'll be Moxie Loves and that would be a cool name in itself to stand on its own. Um, yeah. if I have to walk away or if I have to sell the brand, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you're, you're going to exit it. So, like, like uh, Mark, it reminds me of um, Will Mara's business, you know, Bingo Loco. You know Bingo Loco? Uh, yes. So he's, uh, we we had him on the podcast and his, like, he's uh, like he's doing so well expanding the business that they have got sold out gigs all over Australia, all over Dubai. Now they're doing America stuff and they're just, they're Brilliant. figuring out. But he's, not he at the beginning he was kind of the promoter and the brand and stuff like that but now like no one he did a really big one in austin recently um but like no one knows him in austin so there's no he didn't need to push that yeah, yeah exactly and he said at the beginning they used to do it uh these bingo loco uh businesses that are uh, events in irish kind of strongholds you know like new york was a safe one sydney's safe enough uh, but now they're going to places where there's no irish people and it's it's wor- it's kind Still of working. taking off uh, and, uh, and it's kind of not connected to Ireland it's just a you know uh, don't a think, bingo yeah. rave if you mm. call it that I'm not sure what you'd call it but uh, <laughs> you know um, so it's an interesting take as well for scalability I think it's probably best not to be so um, connected, connected yeah. to it it's interesting yeah Mark, I, watching like YouTubers and stuff like family YouTubers are, are even you know in the beauty industry not that I watch but they're on in the house yeah. I have two daughters and a wife Um it stresses me out thinking like they have to produce videos of their lives every single day. Yeah. Christ, <laughs> that must be tough. It's a lot of effort. Yeah. And they all try to diversify into products. Whereas I suppose the influencing for me came sort of after the brand had launched because of the brand nearly rather than the other way around. So that for me, I think always makes me feel a little bit better. Like if I stopped posting on my social media tomorrow, I could put everything into the brand and that would still be okay. Uh, so I have that option to to bow out if I need to. <laughs> Perfect. I like okay. it. Um, okay. Philosophical one now. Is is it who you know or is it what you know? It's who you know, 100%. I mean, obviously what you know long-term is really beneficial, but if you don't know something, that can be outsourced. And if you don't know the person, you may never get in the door. It's amazing. Everybody has a different take on that. <laughs> and um, somebody's last week or most recently was it's who knows you which really makes sense as well you know kind of twist on it yeah. um okay how much money is enough money oh as an entrepreneur is it ever ever enough i mean even not thinking about money i'm just thinking about just you always want more and the next big thing like we're launching to australia and i'm like yeah america you know you just move on don't you um What's but I think we actually we we asked this for everybody, but I just thought, I just realized this, Mark. Where we need a little bit more around that. What enough money is enough money? It's it's a it, enough money like to say personally. Say, yeah, say if they came to you, Pamela, and they said, "Here's a check. Here's a bag of money. Here's the number on the bag. Walk away from this business. Never talk about it again. Never do anything for the rest of your life other than just do whatever you want to do." Well, what's, what's that number? <laughs> I mean, it'll probably be different depending on what day of the week you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> How did my day go today? I mean, um, you know, looking at the value of beauty brands in the industry, like I would hate to walk away. Like even if somebody bought it, I'd love to stay on. You know, I just mm. feel like I'm not done yet t- today. Um, but I think, you know, if I got it to a place, like there's a sweet spot number for me and it's 50 million. If I got it, like I would love to be able to get it to that value yeah. for somebody to be able to to 
buy me out, but keep me still. Don't let me go. <laughs> but to oh, have me God. work on other things, that's a nice number. It always feels like a good number. 15 me. million feels like a good number to me, Mark. What do you think? <laughs> I take it. Look, <laughs> give me, I won't, you'll never hear about me again. I'll just go into the background. You'll see me. Yeah, I think. Yeah, when we're asking that question, it might come across a bit like materialistic and stuff like that. But it's it's not really, and that's why I like it open ended mm. because you've obviously got a passion and your business is your passion, mm. but money is important to grow it to company. So I know straight away that's what you're thinking about. How much money do we need to expand and to scale? And that's yeah, and that's a lot. So it's less about you know swimming in money. It's it's more like the growth of the business and yes to be able to breathe and do whatever the business needs that's the money i'm always thinking about yeah yeah um okay last one mark what do you think what's the burning what's if you left here today with one question the, the pamela could could serve up here or what would it be? okay i'll be i'll be quite particular about this usually we, we in general but if you is somebody in your industry and a young entrepreneur to learn one skill to, to, to help succeed or help them along the path what would it be one one skill I think sales because no matter what you're doing sales is it never ends you know you have a distributor but you're still selling like you're constantly selling in this business so I think sales is a really good skill to have like also a little bit of accountancy with that because you know the P&L of a product and you know that is really really helpful so if you can loop in a bit of um financial knowledge with your sales then you'll be the full package i love that answer like sales like it like you said you put, put it better than than we could have put it it never ends it's always something else you can be selling Do you know what I mean? it's it's people buy from people um i always think that when i look around like an office i'm like someone sold yeah. all of these things <laughs> Do you know what i mean whether it was yes. a marketer or whether it was a salesperson selling desks like someone you know say like put that deal together um so they, it really does keep the businesses going um so that's why and yeah. i fully agree i fully agree with that pamela as well because yeah. having trained as an accountant who went into a sales environment in in recruitment and then opened up a, a recruitment business i'm so glad that i have the accountancy yeah it really it really solves a lot it's of a problems. nice lean that you can it's a crutch whereas i unfortunately do not have Skill. But like you I don't need. I studied as an auditor for three years. No I didn't way. need to do that. <laughs> you didn't need to do that. No, but you I, know, this projects me back to the distributor advice too, because you buy from people, and so those people need to be you. You know, even if the sale goes through somebody else, you have to be the person with that relationship and that contact. And then you'll only really get that if you're good at sales. Like people will like you if you're good at sales. I feel. But then obviously, yeah, if you can listen in school and be just even half good at numbers, <laughs> you'll be flying. Sales probably came naturally to you, Pamela, though. Like, have you ever done anything to read any books or done any courses or had any mentors to help with, with the sales aspect? Like, how No, like I used to do trade shows when I was younger. So and my very first job was in retail in Brown Thomas. And I think that real life experience of selling to people when you've sales targets and when you've difficult customers and you've a difficult environment and you're part time and everyone else is full time, you're trying to show your worth. That is like the scramble in retail. You'll learn so much. So like if you're in school and you want a job and you want to be an entrepreneur when you leave school, retail, it's such a hard graft. The hours are long. It's so much pressure and you learn everything. You learn customer service, you learn sales, you learn how to work with people in sales and 
you know, you're trying to sell something that, you know, nobody wants sometimes and that's hard to do, but you'll learn a lot. And I think having a retail job when I was young is how I learned how to sell. And, and to be honest, I heard the, the other day that there was a, somebody said something about AI is getting so advanced. It's going to make computer type jobs like tech type tech type jobs less valuable than actual physical jobs like oh. like obviously doing physical work but also sales is kind of physical job yeah. so the against everybody's thinking it's actually that they're going to be end up maybe more valuable than the actual number uh, the the tech stuff the sales totally agree will inherit the world mark so you're saying we're going to take over and we'll be the only ones you know out there hustling <laughs> still i mean like I, I think about that with our kids as well um oh you guys still there yeah, we're there. Okay, yeah. Cool. Um, I think about that with our kids as well. Like, how do we get them to sell things? Because if they've had quite a, you know, soft enough upbringing, how do we get them? Yeah. You it's... know, hustling. Hey, one of your girls, they're too young now to do door to door sales, but I think that might be something that you could throw them into when they're 15, 16. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Well, door to door sales. Oh, you learn so much door to door. That's rough. Like, yeah. but you will learn. Like, there's nothing that you couldn't transfer that skill to that rejection and all of that is like i think really important yeah i, I that was my first sales job really uh door-to-door sales selling aircom phone watch in uh and rings end when i was 16 uh in an ill-fitting suit going door-to-door getting chased around uh rings end but it was a good learning experience and if you can do that you can sit in a cushy tech sales job and it's uh it's fine you know, uh, you can do anything if you can do that. So, Pamela, I'd like to wish you all the best of luck with the business. Uh, thanks so much for taking some time this evening on this beautiful, one of the nicest evenings in the Irish summer. You took some time to have a chat with us on the Shark Pod, and I really do appreciate that. Um, we have one more question to ask you as we ask all of our guests Would you prefer a t shirt or a mug? Oh, a mug. A mug. A mug is on its way to you. Actually, I, I think, the, I think the, the mugs are, are better, Mark. I don't know. I don't know. You use the mug bar than the odd t-shirt. Okay, cool. So, Pamela, we'll get that out to you again. Thank you very much. We'll uh, we'll put all the links, all of your stuff in the, the show notes. And uh, thanks very much for the time. Thanks, thanks for having me, guys.